Well, good evening. We're glad everyone is here, and uh, it's good to hear all the fellowshipping that is going on in the building. Uh, the building doesn't know quite how to act, all right, uh, with all of this going on in it because it's been absent for so long. Uh, but it is good to see all of you back. Um, matter of fact, um, it is uh, good to be back here tonight. And about this time, uh, last Sunday night, we were uh, landing in Atlanta and uh, getting ready for a series of meetings over there. But it is good to be back here and to be back at home. Now, I will say this to you tonight. Um, Chapter 42 and chapter 43 of the book of Ezekiel are two pretty intense chapters. And um, so <clears throat> I spent the afternoon trying to figure out how I'm going to get four pages of notes down into 30 minutes. Okay, And to be quite truthful, I don't think it's going to happen. All right. Um, so I hope you brought you a snack and stuff for tonight. We may be here about an hour and a half uh, to two hours to get through all of it. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll just have to kind of you know we'll just have to find us a stopping off place, and uh, as we get through these notes because there's just so much uh, to chapter 42 and chapter 43. But before we get started tonight, let me just uh, share a couple of requests with you. Just continue to pray for Miss Mary Yarbrough and uh, just keep her lifted up in your prayers and go and tell ministries down in Matamoros in Mexico and. Um, she just need she needs your prayers uh, right now, um, and uh, she just um, is relying on those and looking to all of those who are praying for her and lifting her up. And then also, just continue to pray for all of our mission partnerships. Uh, all of our mission partnerships are still pressing ahead. Uh, they're still pressing forward each day, and we praise the Lord for all of that. And uh, we're just excited about what God is doing. Some new things are going on in uh, some of the locations. And uh, so we praise the Lord that even in spite of the pandemic, uh, the gospel is still uh, still going forth, still affecting and touching lives around the world. And we thank him for that. Amen. And uh, But it is good to see you, each one of you here tonight. And we're going to have a word of prayer. And then we're going to get into chapter 42 and chapter 43. Uh, I do have another one of the 3D models for you tonight that will take you and kind of give you an, uh, an overview of chapter 42 and 43 as far as the actual construction of the temple is concerned. And then um, we're going to... Um, just dive into some of the text uh, and some of the important things that we see in the text as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll, uh, we'll get started tonight. Father, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity that we have to gather back here in this place tonight. And Father, as we study your word, I pray that the Holy Spirit even now would go before us. Uh, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would prepare the way for us. I pray that our hearts and uh, would be soft and pliable. I pray that our minds would be open, uh, Father, for the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us into all truth. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. May we draw from it tonight um, what we need to have and to uh, be able to see, uh, Father, as we live our lives each day uh, so that the world may see you through us in our lives. Father, we thank you for what we read in Ezekiel 42 and 43. And Father, as we make our way through that text tonight, 
looking forward with great anticipation of what it is going to be like uh, to be in the millennial kingdom. Uh, Father, in the things that will take place that's already recorded for us, for us to see uh, before that day arrives. And so, Father, speak to our hearts. Be with the prayer request that we have lifted up to you tonight. I pray that you'd be with Miss Mary. Uh, Father, just touch her in a very special way. Uh, Father, we just praise you for what's taking place in some of our mission partnerships around the world. Father, as we continue to see the gospel spread. And Father, we ask all of this now in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right. Once again, we're going to start off. And uh, let me take chapter 42 and chapter 43 now. And uh, we're just going to give it to you in uh, 3D. Uh, model tour uh, as it goes through some of the aspects of chapter 42 and chapter 43 let's go to there
All right, let's go to chapter 42 and chapter 43. Um, as you were able to see that, as it just kind of took you, how many of y'all realized that there was such a large wall around the tipple uh, that is going to be in place? And there is. But let's go to chapter 42, and we're going to take 42 and 43, and we're just going to kind of break them down and uh, just kind of go through and walk through them. Verse 1 through verse 12 of chapter 42 Ezekiel was led out of the temple sanctuary into the inner court and around the building to the north side. So as you'll notice beginning in verse 1 of chapter 42, then he brought me out into the outer court, uh, the way toward the north, and he brought me to the chamber which was opposite the separate area and opposite the building toward the north. And then starting in verse 2 and going all the way through verse 12, he goes through all of those uh, dimensions um, that we just went through and looked at. It's interesting, and if I could just take and just kind of help maybe summarize some of that that's in those verses to make it just a little bit easier for you. The building actually had three levels uh, and several galleries uh, with a 10-cubit wide passageway in front of the structure. Uh, as Ezekiel begins to describe all of this. Across the 10-cubit wide passageway on the side toward the sanctuary was another building that was 100 cubits long and 50 cubits wide. And on the south side of the temple, there was an extract, or an exact duplicate, I should say, um, of the building on the north. Their size and orientation were exactly the same with entrances that faced east toward the outer court. There is a great deal of detail <clears throat> and intricacy in the building of the Millennial Temple. And it is very specific, uh, and it is laid out uh, exactly. Uh, someone was asking me, we had a discussion about this uh, last week, uh, a couple of us while we were uh, at the meeting, even in Atlanta, we were talking about the Millennial and uh, the Millennial Kingdom and the Temple and uh, matter of fact, there's great discussion today, uh, right now, as to where the temple will be built, uh, where the actual location of the Millennial Temple is going to be built, uh, what is taking place as far as the building design and, uh, and, and architectural designs and all of those things are that are taking place. And it's interesting when um, you hear what is going on over in Israel and what is taking place today. And matter of fact, the design that they're working on is the Ezekiel Temple. Uh, and that is not by coincidence, all right? Uh, that's the way that, uh, uh, that it was designed to be. And even though that they are going through looking at it, <clears throat> a lot of people ask, why wasn't it Solomon's Temple? Solomon's Temple came. It was built. It was destroyed. Uh, you had Herod's Temple. Uh, Solomon's Temple, of course, as it was reconstructed to a point, Herod came in, took the rest of the temple and finished the temple out, became known as Herod's Temple that was destroyed in A.D. 70. And, um, and so the next temple that will be on the scene will be Ezekiel's Temple or the Millennial Temple. And they actually believe that Ezekiel contains um, the description and all of the details surrounding the next temple that should be built. And uh, so that's why they're that's why they're drawing from Ezekiel uh, for all of the dimensions and everything for this next temple. Verse 13 and verse 14 of chapter 2 are interesting. The use of these buildings in the rooms was reserved for the priest when they ate the communal offering meals. So if you look at verse 13 and verse 14, 
of chapter 42, and you'll notice, then he said to me, the north chambers and the south chambers, which are opposite the separate area, they are the holy chambers where the priests who are near to the Lord shall eat the most holy things. Uh, there they shall lay the most holy things, uh, the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering uh, for, in the, uh, for the place is holy. And so when the priests enter, then they shall not go out into the outer court from the sanctuary without laying there their garments in which they minister, for they are holy. And they shall put on other garments, then they shall approach that which is for the people. Now it's interesting that we're still—they're going through all of this, um, which many would consider to be ritual, or according to nothing more than the law. Uh, you know, the first question that goes through everybody's mind is, "Well, wait a minute! I thought we were past all of that. I thought we were beyond that. I thought we were into the new covenant." Uh, why is there a regression? And that's the way most people understand it, and that's the way most people look at it, is what we find here in Ezekiel chapter 42 and chapter 43 is actually a regression uh, of the Jews to go back to. But let me share something with you, and please keep this in the back of your mind. Even though some of the things that we're going to go through in chapter 42 and chapter 43 and look at uh, are pretty much the same as far as the offering designations are concerned the important thing about all of this is understanding the significance of it and why they're going back through why the sin offerings why the guilt offerings why the burnt offerings why are they going back through all of this process well one of the things that i shared with you a couple of sunday nights ago and then i want you to make sure that you understand and realize that everything surrounding all of the offerings everything surrounding all of the worship in the wilderness tabernacle as well as solomon's temple were it was all messianic in its context unfortunately that was missed and so for the Jews and for Israel, it became nothing more other than just going through the motions of ritual. And that's why we see a corruption in the priesthood, uh, beginning with Eli and moving forward from there, uh, just a corruption with inside of the temple itself, um, and just what all had occurred. And of course, the temple was desecrated um, under the Babylonian invasion. Uh, it was it was desecrated. It was pretty much destroyed. Uh, part of it was brought back. Part of it was reinstituted, but it, it never was back to its full function as the temple of God in Jerusalem. And so now as we make our way here, and oh, by the way, there has not been, there has not been a, any temple worship um, such as we have in the scripture. There has not been any of that in Jerusalem and inside of the temple because quite frankly the temple is no longer there it's it's gone okay so there has been no there has been no um, uh, offerings no um, no process uh, that they have gone through uh, since the temple was destroyed so they are in great anticipation um, and they are working diligently to try to bring it back and let me say this to you tonight as well it is no coincidence that we're moving there. 
It is no coincidence that they are seeking to rebuild this temple. It, it's no coincidence that they're seeking to bring the priesthood back. I mean, there's no coincidence behind all of this. All of this is orchestrated by God himself. One of the things that God said, God said he was going to bring this about. He, it was, listen, this is under his guiding hand. This is under his controlling hand. As he begins to orchestrate and to bring all of this back together. The buildings and the rooms that we just read here in verse 13 and verse 14 were used for both dining and storage, both um, of the offerings until they were needed. And according to the Mosaic law, the priests received a portion of some offerings that were eaten. Um, that's where they would eat from. They would find their sustenance. They would find those things uh, that they needed would be drawn from those offerings. From the whole burnt offering, they received only the skin of the offering. And so when you go, and, and this, is, this is where it kind of gets a little bit more complicated because what you need to do is take, uh, you almost need to take Ezekiel chapter 42 and chapter 43 and take the book of Leviticus and lay them side by side and go through and look at them, Okay. Because one of the things that you'll find about the whole burnt offering, the whole burnt offering uh, that was offered up that they received, they received only the skin of the animal. And that's actually contained in Leviticus chapter 7 and verse number 8. Uh, there was a memorial portion of all of the grain offerings uh, that were burned on the altar of burnt offering, and the remainder was given to the priest. All of that is covered in Leviticus chapter 2, chapter 6, chapter 7. All right? So as you go through and you look at all of this, what is being discussed here in chapter 42 and chapter 43 is actually contained in the book of Leviticus that the Jews were very familiar with, okay? And they understood completely. And I will say this, even the Jews that are in Israel today, one of the things that I want you to understand is they study the Torah every week. Every day they read from the Torah. And the Torah being the first five books of the Hebrew Scripture, the first five books of your Bible in an English translation, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They read that and study that every single day. Matter of fact, in all the synagogues over there, uh, when you walk into one of the synagogues, there is a very nice, elaborate, decorative uh, place where the Torah is actually kept. It's the scroll. Uh, that scroll is kept in there. Uh, every time they meet together, they read from the Torah. So let me say this to you. The, the Torah, all of the, the rabbis uh, today, they are very familiar with what the Torah has to say. They're, they're very familiar with the law, uh, including all of the offerings and everything that take place with inside of the Levitical code uh, that we have that is contained with inside of the Torah. They understand that. They know that frontwards and backwards, and they know exactly how all of that is to be offered. The fat of the sin offering. Uh, and the trespass offering was burned on the altar of burnt offering and the remainder was eaten by the priests and that's all covered in the book of Leviticus and all of these regulations for the priests were observed in the tabernacle and the temple and so this is not going to be anything new for them it was it was it was held to it was observed in the wilderness tabernacle it was observed in Solomon's temple all right uh, and it's going to be observed once again and so they're working through it right now going through all of the process and putting all of this together now the offerings and here comes here comes the tough part of this and this is this is what I want to kind of move your attention to the offerings were types of the perfect sacrifice Jesus Christ the Messiah and so when you go back and you study all of them 
You study the feast. You study all of the offerings. Every one of them were messianic in theme. But unfortunately, that was not the way they were seen. And so when you consider that, every bit of that pointed to Jesus Christ. And so the big question everybody has, all right, so when we get to the Millennial Temple, then why are all of these offerings going to be put, why are they going to be observed and practiced again when we get into the Millennial Kingdom? Well, keep that thought in the back of your mind that they were messianic in theme, pointing toward the Messiah. So now as we get into the Millennial Kingdom, just hold on to that thought because we're going to go there when we go to chapter 43. Verse 15 through verse 20 of chapter 42. After looking at the inner and the outer courts, Ezekiel was taking out the east gate to the outer perimeter of the sanctuary uh, where the angel uh, guide measured the outer wall of the entire complex. And so that is, um, that is pretty substantial within itself. It was a perfect square, 500 cubits on each side. So if you can just imagine the magnitude of what this is going to look like. Ezekiel was shown by the angel of the future temple that would exceed all of the former temples in size and beauty. And so being in Israel, reading and studying the book of Ezekiel, um, the location of Solomon's temple and where uh, the millennial temple is going to reside. And let me say this to you tonight. You know, everybody thinks that, well, there's going to have to be this major drawdown battle on the Dome of the Rock, uh, there on uh, where the Dome of the Rock currently sits. There's going to have to be this major drawdown battle because it's going to have to be removed so they can build the new temple there. Well, let me share something with you. Everything we have been through so far, do you, have you seen anything as we've gone through any of the text in the book of Ezekiel, have you seen anywhere that it says it's going to be built in that same place, that same location? One of the things you will not find is it's not in the text. So where is this millennial temple going to be built? Well, let me just share something with you. Just don't let that concern you, okay? Uh, the actual location of where this temple will be built uh, will be built um, where it winds up being built. Right? And that's, that's about all I can say. Where it's actually going to be located, nobody knows uh, for sure. Here's what Ezekiel did see. Ezekiel saw a temple that had perfect symmetry and was symbolic of the holiness of God himself in every aspect of it. When you go through and you spend time and, and you look at all of the detail and the intricacies behind all of it, it all points to the very holiness of God himself. From the graduated levels and the divisions that led to the Holy of Holies provided a line of demarcation and separation between the common and the holy. And you probably wonder, well, why is that there? I think one of the things that we miss when we consider all of this, we would think that, well, in the Millennial Temple, then why does there need to be any separation? Why does there need to be any demarcation? Please listen to me. <clears throat> I think one of the things that we fail to remember today is the holiness of God. It's the holiness of God himself. And, and I will say this to you. When we get into the millennial kingdom, the holiness of God is still going to be present in who he is. I think we lose sight of that. Of an absolute holy 
and just God. And we see God is loving, in which he is. But my dear friend, don't ever, don't ever, don't, don't ever take and move the holiness of God to the side. And to, think, and to think that when we get to be with him, that all of that's this just going to go away and we're just all going to walk down the street hand in hand happily throughout all of eternity. My dear friend, God is still God and God will still be worshipped and God will be worshipped by us constantly because of his holiness and who he is. This was a temple that was clearly designed when you read all of the details for worship and sacrifice to Yahweh. Sacrifice? Why would sacrifice need to take place? Why would it take place anyway? I thought we were past all of that. I thought we had moved outside of the old covenant and now had moved into the new covenant. Sacrifices in the worship of a holy God who promised to restore his people Israel to their land. We come to chapter 43. Chapter 43 is quite a chapter, especially as you look at the first 12 verses. Like several other visions in Ezekiel, this vision in verse 1 through verse 5 is followed by an interpretation in verse 6 through verse 12. So let's look at the first five verses, and this is the actual vision that Ezekiel sees. Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing toward the east. <laughs> Are you ready for this? It's called the eastern gate. Huh? How many of y'all, if you've been in church, how many of y'all have heard about the eastern gate? Okay. Well, not only is there an eastern gate into the temple, but there's an, in, there's an eastern gate in Jerusalem today, okay? There's an eastern gate that is there. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east. And we ought to underline that phrase, the glory of the God of Israel. One of the things that you need to keep in mind is Ezekiel saw this in a vision. Ezekiel watched when the glory of God departed from the temple. He witnessed that. What you have here in chapter 43 is a vision as Ezekiel is going to watch once again as the glory of God returns back to the temple. Now, if you were paying attention to the 3D model, in part of that 3D model in chapter 43 was a depiction, an artist's rendering of what that glory and the return of that glory may look like. Do you remember seeing the little circles, the little wheels with the uh, look like uh, precious stones on them? Okay. Well, if you remember, if you go back, if you remember when we first started the book of Ezekiel, we got started talking about the flying wheels and the rings inside of the flying wheels and that was the depiction of that and the glory of the Lord is it's going to return to the temple and reside in the temple once once again verse 3 and it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw like the vision which I saw when he came to destroy the city and the visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Chebar, and I fell on my face. That goes all the way back to chapter 1. Okay? It goes all the way back to chapter 1. And then look at verse 4. 
And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate facing toward the east, coming through the eastern gate. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. You know, I've often, matter of fact, every time I read that, every time I think about it, it just, uh, it just, it just, it just comes all. I, I can't imagine what, what you know, what the magnitude of that is going to be. Is the glory of God filled the tabernacle? Uh, if you remember back to the Old Testament in the wilderness tabernacle after its construction at the beginning of Israel's history, uh, back in Exodus chapter number forty, and as it lifted the temple. Uh, following its construction by Solomon. Uh, when you go and you look at the, the, the construction of, of Solomon's temple, Ezekiel was assured in a vision that once again God, uh, God's glory will reside with Israel. Because keep in mind, it's been gone. It has been departed. And you think about the number of years that it's been departed and the length of time that the glory of God his physical presence with inside of Israel has been gone. But it's going to return. And it's going to come back and reside with inside of the Millennial Temple. You know, just like the exiles, when they despaired at the departure of God's glory from the temple um, in the book of Ezekiel, as we saw that, as Ezekiel saw it in a vision, he watched it as it departed. Uh, the glory of the Lord will be restored to the new temple uh, exactly the way God determines that it's going to be in the messianic age when the Davidic covenant is completely fulfilled and keep in mind there's a portion of the Davidic covenant that is yet to be fulfilled that will not be fulfilled until the millennial kingdom but when the throne of David is reestablished in the city of Jerusalem the temple is put in place and the glory of God returns to that temple and it is restored in Jerusalem the Davidic covenant will be completely fulfilled at that point the Abrahamic covenant is yet to be fulfilled it doesn't come until later in the book of Ezekiel when the inheritance of the land will finally be divided up between all of the tribes of Israel and the inheritance of that land will be just the way that God specified under the Abrahamic covenant. A reminder of what Ezekiel has seen at this point. As you consider all of this that we've been through. The first vision was when he received his call to the ministry. Um, then Ezekiel also saw the glory of God emerge from the storm that came from the north. And then he had another vision. He saw the glory of God depart from the sanctuary and move to the eastern gate of the temple area and pause. Now, I don't know about you, okay? <laughs> but as I study the prophets, could you imagine being Ezekiel? Huh? Could you imagine being Ezekiel and witnessing all of this? And then as all of this is recorded, I mean, I, and, I have, and I have difficulty sometimes just, just imagining what Ezekiel must have thought. And even John, you know, John, while he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos in the book of the Revelation, you know, when he was taken up and he was shown all of these things, <laughs> I, okay, my mind just cannot comprehend what must have happened and what must have went through them. And then the glory of the Lord, of course, moved 
from the eastern gate to the Mount of Olives, and from there at some unspecified later time, the glory of God disappeared. So here's what Ezekiel saw. In the vision, he saw it depart from the temple. It made its way out across uh, the city of Jerusalem, down through the Kidron Valley, and it paused on the Mount of Olives before it was finally gone. And now when the glory of the Lord is going to return, it is going to return back through. It will come from the direction of the Mount of Olives down across through the Kidron Valley, back through the eastern gate, and to once again set in the holy place with inside of the temple. So, Ezekiel's guide brought him toward the east side of the city where the Mount of Olives lies just across the Kidron Valley from the Temple Mount. It's interesting. Matter of fact, I'm going to try to get there and see if this is going to work. Come on, give me one more. Ah, there it is. I got it. You got to hit the right button on that thing, okay? Let me share with you what this is. Uh, while we were in Israel, uh, matter of fact, this is a picture of what it is going to look like. Matter of fact, um, standing here on this side right here, in this area, right down here, is looking from the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is right behind you there. And you look down from the Mount of Olives, and it goes down through this area right here. This area that runs right along here is the Kidron Valley. It's what's referred to as the Kidron Valley. And then there is the Temple Mount right there. And here is the wall. When you come back up to this direction up here, back up towards that end is where the Eastern Gate is of that particular wall so here's what Ezekiel saw coming from the Mount of Olives coming back down across the Kidron Valley and wherever the location of this temple is going to be assuming some place or presuming some place that it is going to be somewhere near the Mount of Olives on the other side of the Kidron Valley the actual location we do not know for sure but at some point it was there but it was apparent to Ezekiel that the Lord's coming here was not a call to ministry or a sign of judgment it was strictly the the return it was a sign of his covenant uh, that God was bringing his covenant love um, that was going to bring about blessings to his people that was going to come once again that would never and here's the difference between this one and all of the other ones this one would never be taken away this one would never never be gone when the restoration takes place the millennial temple is constructed and the glory of the God returns and fills the temple it will not be removed again until the end of the millennial kingdom and when this earth and heaven is destroyed by fire and the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem and the throne of God um, you know I, I don't know about you okay um, you try to picture this you just try to imagine what all of this may may look like um, I don't know about you okay but I'm looking forward to see it all when it transpires and see when it happens.
verse 6 through verse 12 we have an interpretation of the vision that he saw and then I heard one speaking to me from the house while a man was standing beside me and he said to me son of man this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell among the sons of Israel forever and the house of Israel will not again defile my holy name neither they nor their kings by their harlotry and by their corpses of their kings when they die by setting their threshold by my threshold and their doorpost beside my doorpost with only the wall between me and them and they have defiled my holy name by their abominations which they have committed so I have consumed them in my anger now let them put away their harlotry and the corpses of their kings far from me and I will dwell among them forever as for you son of man describe the temple to the house of Israel that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the plan if they are ashamed of all that they have done make known to them the design of the house its structure its exits its entrances all of its designs all of its statutes all of its laws and write it in their sight so that they may observe its whole design and all its statutes and do them guess what that's exactly what they're going to do when it's rebuilt this is the law of the house its entire area on the top of the mountain all around shall be the most holy behold this is the law of the house and these are the measurements of the altar by cubits and then they go through and he gives all of the cubits and then you come down to verse 18 and we pick up the offerings and so he said to me son of man thus says the Lord God these are the statutes for the altar on the day it is built to offer burnt offerings on it and to sprinkle blood on it you shall give to the Levitical priests who are from the offspring of Zadok who draw near to me to minister to me declares the Lord God a young bull for a sin offering and you shall take some of its blood and put it on its on uh, its four horns and on the four corners of the ledge and on the border uh, roundabout thus you shall cleanse it and make atonement for it you shall also take the bull for the sin offering and it shall be burned in the appointed place of the house outside the sanctuary on the second day you shall offer a male goat without blemish for a sin offering and they shall cleanse the altar as they cleansed it with the bull and when you have finished cleansing it you shall present a young bull without blemish and a ram without blemish from the flock you shall present them before the Lord and the priest shall throw salt on them and they shall offer them up as a burnt offering to the Lord for seven days you shall prepare daily a goat for a sin offering also a young bull and a ram from the flock without blemish shall be prepared for seven days they shall make atonement for the altar and purify it so they shall consecrate it and when they have completed the days it shall be that on the eighth day and onward the priest shall offer your burnt offerings on the altar and your peace offerings and I will accept you declares the Lord God interesting isn't it why are they going to offer up the bulls and the goats why a blood sacrifice if you remember what I said earlier concerning this okay 
everything that they did under the old covenant was messianic in theme so it all pointed toward Jesus Christ whom they missed at his second coming they're going to realize who he was and so what is going to take place during the millennial kingdom and the offerings and the burnt offering and the offering of the the bulls and the goats classified and still listed under a sin offering is now going to look back in remembrance of who he was and who he said that he was see for us for you and I today when we come to the Lord's table we do so in remembrance of him we still go through the breaking of the bread we still go through the fruit of the vine we still go through those aspects under the new covenant well for Israel everything that they did everything that they went through under the law looked forward to Jesus Christ they missed it but during the millennial kingdom all that they will do now will be in memorial and remembrance of Jesus Christ and who he said that he was do you see that that's the difference that is the difference between the two not that their sin is going to be removed because that's taken care of when God restores Israel and restores the temple worship back but it is going to be for them in a remembrance of the significance of their offerings and God wanted to be sure that Ezekiel understood the significance of what he had seen so he gave him a personal invitation and what you see here in these verses that we went through this is the place of my throne this is where I will live among the Israelites forever God promised his return and he promised that it would be a permanent return and he also promised that restored Israel would never defile God's name or turn in idolatry at all it would never happen so as we come to the end of chapter 43 <clears throat> there are some things that um, is part of the restoration that God promised right <clears throat> I want to just kind of give you real quickly um, just a few things to think about first of all right the temple of Ezekiel's vision made that promise a reality by looking to a future day when God would personally dwell again with his people number two the temple was a sign of God's choosing of Israel God had chosen Israel as the people through whom his redemptive purpose would be realized throughout all of humanity. God chose them. God placed his name on them. Not because of who they were or not because of anything that they had to offer, but simply because God chose them to place his name on them and they would be a testimony and a witness to him. Didn't occur. Third, the temple was a visible sign of the holiness of God. God's name repeatedly had been profaned by Israel's detestable practices. You know, a corrupt temple was the sad witness of a corrupt nation when you read through the prophets. Fourth, the temple was a visible witness of God's redemptive love. And so in the offerings, they were looking back. When they see him, when he returns the second time and when they see him and they realize who he is 
the morning and all that will take place. Now they will. Okay, here's what's going to happen. In all of those offerings from the past, under the law, now in the millennial temple, now they're going to fully understand what that was all about to begin with. And it's now going to be a confirmation to them of what occurred under the law and what it pointed to all of that time and how they missed it. It'll be a difficult time for them as they understand that and work through all of that. And then fifth, or number five, the temple was a physical confirmation of the covenant of peace and of the future restoration of Israel. And all of the offerings will be, and keep this in mind, imagine being Jews, imagine being in the millennial kingdom, and imagine being involved in the temple worship that is going to take place. And it's for the Jews, and let me say this, for the Gentiles, we get to stand back and watch. And we get to stand back and observe. It's not for us. This is for Israel. This is for restored Israel during the millennial kingdom. And so all of this that they're going to go through is going to be a remembrance. It's going to be a confirmation of everything that was contained with inside of the law. Everything in the tabernacle, in the wilderness tabernacle, everything in Solomon's temple, all of the offerings that they went through, all of the feasts that they went through, it is going to be a reminder daily during the millennial kingdom to the holiness of God and who he is. The temple with the glory of God residing now in the temple, not to be removed again. It's God's love and God's holiness now through his covenants is now fulfilled and made available to them. It's tough. It's difficult. It's difficult to kind of get your hands around to fully comprehend and understand what is going to take place when you go through and you read all of these. Matter of fact, when you go to chapter 44, starting in verse 15, you see all of the ordinances is going to be laid out and listed for the Levites. So from the tribe of Levi, specifically from Zadok, from the priests of Zadok, is they will minister in the temple. And you and I, We'll have an opportunity to see and to witness and to watch all of this. But it's not for us. And let me tell you why it's not for us. It's not for us because we're Gentiles and we come under the new covenant. Restored Israel and the restoration of Israel that is going to take place. As God is going to deal with the nation of Israel as they move into the millennial kingdom. It's going to be a constant reminder to them of the holiness and the covenants and the love of God himself. And I know that's hard. That's kind of difficult uh, to separate all of this and to kind of get your hands around. But it will be quite a time for them when that period comes. All right? Well, that takes us through 42 and 43. I would encourage you, go back and read through Leviticus, okay? And look at some of those offerings and then come back to chapter 42 and chapter 43 of Ezekiel and read back through that and look at, look at them in contrast to each other and what is going to take place. Will blood need to be applied to a mercy seat? No. If you'll notice, a mercy seat is not listed here. They'll be applied to the horns of the altar. All right? So as you consider all of this, 
the presence of God will permanently reside with inside of the temple. And so it will be there uh, throughout all the millennial kingdom. Uh, the offering, the sacrifices, now keep this in mind, they are simply, they are simply for a confirmation and a remembrance of who Jesus Christ was and who he is. It's a confirmation of what took place. It was a revealing of what they missed in all of those sacrifices under the old covenant that were messianic in theme. Now they're going to fully understand each one of them. For you and I, that's tough because you know what we say? <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I understand what it all is. I know what it pointed to. Well, let me share something with you, okay? The reason that we know is because we read and study it and we see it. And we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And for us to be able to get our hands around it, we can see it. But the question becomes is why do so many miss it? Why do so many miss it? My question today is why do many people walk away from the gospel? Is it any different? No, it's not. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. As we think about that location right there, the city of Jerusalem in Israel, that's where he's coming back. Matter of fact, when you read the scripture, when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to set one foot on the Mount of Olives. He's going to set one foot in the Kidron Valley in Jerusalem, and there's going to be a dividing. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Brother Mike. We are, yes, sir. Okay. Correct. Mm -hmm. At 6.30. Okay, and we'll send something out as well. Okay. All right. Well, let's have a word of prayer, and uh, we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you uh, for your word, and, and Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit to teach us. And Father, as we anticipate and look forward to the millennial kingdom, and Father, just all of those things that are going to occur, and Father, some of the things that we just don't know, we don't have the details for. But Father, we know that you do. And so Father, as we look forward with anticipation, understanding and realizing for us how important it is to share the gospel with those around us. Father, as we look forward to that day where the very presence of, of you will reside with inside of the Millennial Temple. Father, our hearts can only, and our minds can only imagine what that's going to be like. Father, in your holiness, and in your justness, and in your covenant love. Father, words just can't, they just, they can't, they can't begin to describe what that must be going to be like. But Father, I pray that you would help us as we look forward with that anticipation and we look forward to that day may we be busy today sharing the gospel with those who so desperately need it we pray that you dismiss us now tonight in your love uh, give us safety as we travel home uh, father return us at the next time that we gather together and may you receive all the glory and the praise and the honor for it's in jesus name that we pray amen